Good day everyone. Welcome to BridgeM Digital Transformation Series webinar. Digital is your new front door. How to exploit and manage these new opportunities? I'm Asti, Events Coordinator at BridgeM Indonesia. Today, we're going to discuss how businesses can more effectively market goods and services in the online environment. And joining us today are our three distinguished panelists, Tom West, Director of Island Media Management, Ilyas Pat, Chief Executive Officer of MadeInIndonesia.com, and last but not least, Kelvin Lowe, Regional Commercial Head ASEAN, Australia, Korea, and Japan of Cambridge Assessment English. This session will be moderated by Chris Ren, the Executive Director of Bridgem Indonesia. Before we start, allow me to explain the functionality of this webinar. Please be informed that today's webinar is being recorded and we will be able to share a link with you when it's available after the event is complete. All dial-in participants will be muted to avoid background noises that may distract you from listening to this webinar and also to enable our panelists to present without interruption. If you have any questions, please type them into the Q&A box at any time. It is at the bottom center of your screen. And we will have time for Q&A session at the end to answer your questions. Now I'm going to hand the screen over to Chris Ren, who is going to start today's webinar. Thank you very much, Ashley. Um, a very good day to everybody. We have quite a large audience and they are represented both in Indonesia, so it's good afternoon to you, and also in the UK where it's a good morning to uh, our UK guests. Um, Britcham has been putting on a number of webinars over the last few weeks. Uh, we've de deliberately avoided talking about COVID-19 per se, and instead uh, our focus has been remained on the challenges that have been facing our members and stakeholders uh, from a commercial sense. And certainly the challenges of having needed to accelerate the digital uh, advancement of the business has been, uh, has been one that everybody has talked about. Uh, last week, we talked about the cybersecurity challenges with moving to various digital platforms in a hurry. And today we're looking at uh, the issue of marketing, because digital has now become your new front door. Um, no meetings, um, no gatherings in the, in the usual formats. And like with everything that's new, there are challenges, but there are also opportunities. And our focus really will be on how to exploit and how to manage these new opportunities. Um, I won't read through the uh, CVs uh, or bios of, of my guests today, um, who are Tom West, um, Director of Island Media Management of Ilias Bart, uh, CEO of Made in Indonesia, and Kelvin Lowe, uh, Regional Commercial Head of Cambridge uh, Asset Cent uh, Assess Assessment Center. I apologize. Um, I won't read out the bios because you, you've had those already um, and I don't want to use our, our valuable time. We have received some really, really good and interesting and relevant questions from uh, some of you in advance. Uh, we'll do our very best to work through them. Some are quite similar, so I'll be bundling those together. Um, and our format today really is for Tom to be doing a little bit of scene setting for us. Um, uh, with regards to this particular topic and also to delve in some recent corporate experience that they have had with one of their clients. And I think um, with that, uh, the only other thing to restate from Asti is the opportunity for you as things occur to you to please use the question and answer box um, and we'll be pulling things off there and posing them to our guests during the uh, rather more conversational chat show style interaction in the latter part of this webinar. Um, with that, it gives me great pleasure to hand over the floor, or should I say the screen, uh, to Tom West, Director of Island Media Management. Well, hey, thank you, Chris. Uh, also, thanks to Asti and Rani for putting together and uh, managing our webinar today. Um, so, 
obviously there are a lot of um, operational and, and communication variables that have either changed or been introduced to uh, our marketing environment um, due to COVID-19. Not that we dwell on that as a subject, but the global macro environment is certainly shaped by that right now. That's pretty much universally agreed. Um, so we'll focus today on the aspects of digital transformation um, from a marketing perspective, and our panel has insights um, from different perspectives of dealing with our environment and making plans uh, for the midterm as things develop. Um, I think it makes sense to kind of look at everything chronologically so we can maybe have a look at how things are going right now and then what businesses might do as a rule of thumb or rules of thumb um, to assess things or make plans for what what things might look like over the next 6, 12, 18 months. Again, with regard to, um, to changing digitally. Um, so I think just to set the scene, I'll relay an anecdote um, of a business who I think is particularly agile. And agility and adaptability are traits I think that we'll see in successful businesses over the midterm. Um, as new challenges come in, adaptability is going to be something that, that comes to the forefront. Um, so uh, a business um, that we've worked with in the past and all of the change that I'll speak about here is completely their doing. Um, so not to take any credit away from them. Um, it's a, a business called Bali Safe that works primarily with food safety, um, occupational health and safety, drawing from international experience, relocated here, landed, got set up, everything legal, and started really working with tourism and hospitality providers to make sure chefs are running safe kitchens, trying to get rid of this whole image of Bali belly and so on. And then guess what, a couple of months later, bam. Okay, so now a product and a service that's very much hands-on, very much in person, and very much in the tourism industry, kind of a double whammy, gets set back. And they take stock and they say, well, what are we good at? We're good with communications. We've built presentations and slide decks for decades. So how can we deliver a product to people that already know us and they come up with COVID safe? So it's a way for them to draw on their strengths, assess some of the operational liabilities that they have in the business with what's going on, come up with a new product that enables them to take advantage of the situation or rather present things in a light that is going to help help their clients meet their objectives, take the local regulations and actually apply them into the working environment. So the, the, the connection there is again with, with agility. And we have to take a look at, at our marketing plans and maybe look at some of the, the costs that you thought were sunk for the year and see about how you can make smart adaptations to your marketing and your messaging in order to make sure that the audience you thought was gonna be in a certain place is still there, that the message is still appropriate, and that the goods and services that you're trying to market are still in demand. Um, so in order to set the scene, I think um, the scene that we're looking at is one of, of changing variables, and it will be the businesses who are able to identify those variables and make adaptations um, that will prove to be the most successful in the midterm. And as the scene is set, I'll pass that back over, over to you, Chris. Thanks, uh, thanks very much, Tom. Um, what we have with our panel today are uh, people representing businesses in, uh, th that are different. Tom's company is the consulting company uh, that is providing guidance and support in the marketing space, and in particular with the digital focus. Um, then we've got Kelvin's company who prior to COVID was already starting to put a lot of their offerings online. Um, and what COVID's done is to perhaps uh, uh, accentuate the focus of the online. And then um, Ilias, uh, this is a company that's uh, relatively new to market, still in the process of launch, um, that was always designed to be digital only before COVID. Um, so first of all, I, I'd like to bring in um, Kelvin, if I may. Kelvin, please tell us a little bit about the approach of Cambridge uh, Assessment English. Um, perhaps share with us uh, why prior to COVID you had taken the digital and online route and what has changed since. Yeah, thank you everyone for having me here. 
um, I want to thank Chris and uh, you know for organizing this uh, session. So I'll talk a bit about how we we serve the market in a digital manner. As you probably know, we are I'm from uh, with a Cambridge assessment. We are a 150 year old company, and we are part of the University of Cambridge. You know, which is an 800 year old institution. So if there's a term that describes us, an uh, ultra traditional company, I think we will fit the bill, right? Because uh, most of us, most of you guys will probably think of us as uh, you know, running paper exams, you know, um, physical classroom, having schools and teachers and uh, having a lot of hard copy books and uh, materials. But having said that, um, if you just Google now, you know, the, the, skill need, the skills needed for this uh, decade, and what employers are actually looking for in their employees. According to survey from World Economic Forum and LinkedIn, you know, the top two skills that they are looking at is uh, thinking and problem solving skill as one, and the second is a communicative skill. So in Cambridge Assessment, we not only have the tools and product to assess these uh, two skills, whether in a school setting or, or in a corporate entity for companies to assess their employees, we are able to deliver it virtually and using uh, AI technology. So let me expand a little bit about our, how we embrace this uh, AI technology. One of the features of this uh, AI technology is to make our test adaptive. Because in a normal test environment, all the candidates will have the same test paper. So imagine if you're a candidate, and if the first few question is very difficult, you basically give up the whole paper, right? But uh, with this uh, feature that we incorporate with uh, AI technology, the system is able to generate different test questions to different candidates at the same time to test their level. So once the candidate cleared the level, the question will, will go up to the next more difficult level. So it's really testing candidates at their level and making them confident and comfortable with the test so that the test will gradually test and push the candidate to the level that um, up to the, the limit. So we are able to personalize a group test, right? And we are able to make the test enjoyable and motivating. So I think that's the essence of where we are coming from to make our tests uh, relevant and also making our tests uh, as comfortable, as, as enjoyable as possible. I know it's quite a difficult word to describe tests being enjoyable, but that's what we are trying to do. And the second part about uh, AI technology that we incorporate is using AI marker. So we have done a lot of research so as to calibrate the system so that it's able to mark the candidate at our highest standard. So Again, this is using a lot of, uh, so we have spent a lot of time and resources researching on this for the past few years. And one advantage that it can bring to the market is, is a faster turnaround in terms of the result. Imagine you do an exam today, you may only receive your result scrape one month or two months later. But with incorporating this AI technology, we are able to basically generate the result almost instantaneously, right? And the third and last bit about this uh, AI technology is uh, proctoring software. So because of this COVID-19, everybody is locked down, locked in the office. I mean, sorry, locked at home, you know, cannot go to their office. So we use uh, proctoring software to basically invigilate the test taker remotely, anywhere, everywhere they are. So, um, and with this technology that we, is able to help us record the test session, uploading the test session to the server and using the AI technology to pick up or identify any cheating or anomalies. So, so you may see us as, um, as a company that is very traditional in, 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 a, in a normal sense, but we have been staying ahead of the game you know, to, to monitor the future trend. And um, so this is, um, so this is, I'm glad to say that as a company, we are able to think ahead. And um, so we managed to push ahead. But I'm not saying that we don't have difficulties uh, during this COVID-19. Of course, it, 
is, uh, I think it threw a lot of people off guard and there's a lot of challenges. Maybe I can share this a little bit more in a later session. Thank you, Chris. Um, thanks very much, Calvin. So yes, very traditional Cambridge using uh, a lot of forward thinking and a lot of modern uh, technology, much of which will have been the output of research from universities as well, AI included. But you were already on the on the track with this before COVID, as you mentioned, to improve the experience, to improve the output. And COVID has simply provided, I think, I believe what you're saying, more opportunity for people as they are, as you say, not locked up in their offices. Is anyone locked up in their office? No. <laughs> um, locked, locked up in your homes. Locked at home, um, yeah. Yeah, with, with, uh, with a, a lot more time on your hands and an opportunity to think through what you might actually want to do in a productive way with your time. Um, I, I'd now like to bring in um, Ilyas. Ilyas's uh, project currently is something that's far from traditional. Um, this is, um, this is an organization made in Indonesia.com. Uh, um, and um, Kelvin's had 15 years of entrepreneurial experience and background in a range of companies and uh, across a number of disciplines, uh, including luxury brand management, uh, business entrepreneurship, and, and so on. Um, but the Made in Indonesia is, is Ilyas's vision, and he is the visionary co-founder. Um, it is Indonesia's first B2B global e-commerce platform, and it's been exclusively designed for business-to-business -business sourcing and procurement from Indonesia, of particular interest to a number of the uh, guests who are on this particular webinar who have an interest in export-import trade relationships and so on. Ilyas, I'm sure that you can do madeinindonesia.com a lot more justice and I'll hand over to you to just explain to everybody the inspiration behind this and where you are in the development from concept to launch. So much, Chris. Um, I'm sorry for my audio. Uh, I think, I, I hope I'm audible. Uh, there are some difficulties I'm experiences, uh, experiencing right now. Uh, good afternoon to everybody. Uh, let me take a step back and, uh, you know, mention about a lot has been discussed so far about these. And I think indeed uh, COVID-19 has, that is uh, threatening both uh, our health and business. And speaking of business in particular, uh, global businesses have been affected uh, at various degrees. Uh, on the sectors, um, our society at this point of time, how we uh, live or how we are conducting business, trade, commerce is being redefined as we speak. So if we look at Indonesian perspective at this point of time, um, Indonesian economy, uh, economic growth is expected to plunge to 2.3% and in worst case scenario to 0.4%. Uh, that would obviously have devastating effects in years to come. I believe it's high time for Indonesian businesses in particular, uh, especially manufacturers, uh, small and medium enterprises, to um, enact uh, resilient uh, long-term uh, digital transformation um, and e-commerce adoption, uh, creating uh, digital experiences and digital innovation strategies um, paying very close attention to, to the consumer uh, behavior and uh, accelerate uh, digital innovative solutions that would be acting as a driving force. But I think for now, um, if I could move on and um, perhaps uh, focus on Tom, first of all, Tom, as, as the consultant and the advisor, and I'm, I'm sort of drawing on inspiration from some questions that we have, um, that we have had come in. Um, a smaller or medium-sized business that's uh, been used to doing things rather more traditionally yep. um, that, that still needs to uh, obviously drive revenue, but now having to drive revenue in territory, marketing territory that's relatively unfamiliar to them. Um, how would you begin that conversation with them, Tom, in terms of um, switching over their knowledge and experience base um, to the, the digital way of doing things? Yep, um, good question. I think um, if I 
I kind of have a few examples in the back of my head. And if I could frame, take this question and frame it in the context of an example of a business, that might help um, paint a little bit more clear picture. So if we, if we picture, let's say, um, a successful small to medium sized law firm, um, maybe in Jakarta or wherever. Um, and, you know, you look at their website and it's certainly, you know, it shows, it paints the picture that somebody told them about the internet in 2003 and now they've got a website and they've had the same one for 17 years. And maybe they're at the, at the cutting edge of their practice in terms of law. And the way they show their success is by having the best office and they drive the Range Rover or the Mercedes, but their website looks like a 1988 Toyota Corolla. So now people can't see your fancy office. People can't see your Range Rover. What they see, if they need to look for service and they haven't been given a recommendation word, for mouth, word of mouth, is they look online because they have to. They're working from home, they're spending time at home. Now, maybe that's not your client, but what it does is it allows other people to creep in and get more market share. So the people that adapt will either protect or gain more market share. So that's an example of a small business. Um, and for what they invest in their client relationships, the fact that they accept their brand to be tarnished by poor digital representation and having a crummy website up there and you know they haven't sorted out their, their social or Google properties. You're talking of an investment, maybe like 20 million rupiah. And if anything, it's there to protect their brand. It's there to protect their market share, especially in a time like this where people maybe are reluctant to meet face-to-face. -face. Maybe they need to find you online. So um, I hope that example maybe addresses the question appropriately. It, it, it has, Tom. Um, and what about the question of cost? Uh, you know, we're, we're in an environment now where businesses are facing a downturn in revenue. They're trying their best to um, uh, be, be loyal to um, their teams, they have their fixed overheads, which uh, will be very, very difficult to alleviate it in, in the short term. Um, how, how, how resource guzzling is this financially to make this switch? That's a good question as well. And it has to do with the scale of the business. It has to do with what your target market is. But in order to do, you know, something simple like let's make sure that our website is modern and is in accordance with our brand. And all it is, is to tell your story, to say, hey, we're here, this is what we do. Super cheap, You're, you, you should be able to find somebody to design it for you for 15, 20 million, for something fairly simple, contact form, that kind of thing. But that money doesn't need to come necessarily out of your back pocket. If you have, if you have advertising in place, out of home advertising, print advertising, untrackable advertising, where people aren't gonna have it's not going to have the readership. It's not going to have the views that you thought it was going to whenever you thought you were going to buy it. Maybe those are things that can be renegotiated. Maybe you can look into what you thought were previously agreed sunk costs and reallocate in a way that allows you to, one, if you're working from home, certain aspects of your operations maybe aren't consuming a lot of your time, then maybe it's time to upskill or upskill part of your workforce, part of your marketing department to say, hey, it's the 21st century, we're 20 years into the 21st century, let's make sure that we're competent with this digital stuff. Let's go ahead and get somebody to set up a Google Ads campaign and experiment with it and figure out how it works. Or if you're a larger size firm and you're still living in the 20th century, it's a good way for you to take this and say, right, I was a, a maybe I was in the C-suite or maybe I was in charge of marketing and I was you know, on the second to the top floor and my job was great, it was ticking over. I wasn't gonna take any risks. I got this all the time with hotel GMs. I gotta grow by X percent every year. I don't need to take any risks, doesn't matter. Well, now it's a good chance for you to step out of that shell and say, I can learn myself, I can take steps for the business to move it into the 21st century. I knew this stuff needed to happen, but now I have a chance to do it in an environment where I can further my career rather than expose myself to risk. That institutional careerism is a real thing. And um, it, it holds a lot of businesses back. This is a chance to get out of that. Okay, so really what you're presenting is, there are two opportunities. One, one are to save costs and redirect those costs. Um, and the there, other there, issue- sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Chris. There's another one here, which is, if you look at all of your competitors in your industry, everybody's hitting the brakes on advertising. 
that that can make sense let's say tourism it makes sense to maybe stop google ads for example if there are no flights you're going to get no bookings it makes total sense but if everybody just blanket stops every type of advertising stops every type of digital effort there are mid to long term kind of semi durable investments you can make like search engine optimization that's more or less a zero-sum game with your competition. If you can move yourself up in the rankings while everyone else is wondering what they're doing or they're, they're cutting people, they're cutting content writers, then when things return, you're going to have a better share of those search results. You're going to get better organic traffic as a result. That's a good investment, depending on what your business is. Uh, or uh, some property owners might take this opportunity to reinvest in the physical renovation of their property well why not why not look at your digital properties as a renovation project as well so there's some mindset changes there but um just saying hey cut all costs maybe puts you in the same bucket with everybody else that's making the same mistake okay so it's not just cutting costs it's redirect cutting costs and then redirecting the focus uh, to the newer opportunities yeah and those yeah. newer opportunities are the digital platforms and also the learning and development of the individuals themselves that are perhaps not as familiar as as others are um as to how to exploit those opportunities i'd, I'd like to welcome back Ilyas. uh um i'm sorry we lost you um we lost you earlier Ilyas. you you were um, introducing the philosophy behind madeinindonesia.com. Perhaps you'd just like to pick up from where we lost you. So uh, I was just giving a bit of perspective in terms of where we are with respect to COVID-19 and what all businesses ought to do in general. Uh, and at the micro, macro perspective, uh, I was just uh, mentioning about um, our small and medium enterprise businesses in Indonesia. Uh, they, they need to be more resilient um, in terms of digital transformation, in terms of economic adoption, uh, you know, e-commerce adoptions, so that they are more prepared for a post-COVID-19 era. And uh, having said that, I think we are not going to, it would be any normal. And technology, e-commerce, uh, which has the past two decades, um, has uh, merely been more expedited and it has somehow the, the COVID-19 has acted more of a catalyst in terms of the adoption at this point of time. Um, I, I would like to um, Maybe I can uh, jump bring... in here. Yeah, please do, Calvin. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I echo what Tom and Elias has uh, shared briefly, you know, because uh, we need to remind ourselves, uh, even without this uh, crisis, we're actually in the fourth uh, industrial revolution, right? And uh, according to data that I've gathered, uh, World Economic Forum is half life of a learned skill. What it means is that it suggests that a skill learned today can only last you half a lifetime, right? I mean, my dad is a bus, bus driver for his entire life. But imagine now a bus driver, you're talking about in 10 years time, uh, the whole transport, transportation system will be driverless, right? So not, not only individual is uh, we have to ad adapt, but business too, right? We, we talk about traditional banks uh, being replaced by FinTech, you know, cryptocurrency, blockchain, Alipay, so and so forth, right? So not only jobs will disappear, but companies will be gone, right? So it is it's actually about survival. So I think to, to me is um, we, if, if this fourth industrial revolution then, then causes us to act, you know, how we can serve our market better, you know, we have to take this crisis as a wake up call because we, we have to think, you know, five to 10 years ahead, uh, what is the marketplace like and uh, whether, whether do we have the product that, that suit the marketplace, you know, what is the customer buying experience, so on and so forth. So we, we have to, I think a few points I'd like to share is we have to think of online as uh, expanding your sales channel. So I, I hear that, you know, like for small media enterprise, um, I think Tom has shared briefly that the cost is not exorbitant, right? So we, we just, for a small media enterprise, I, I know every dollar count, but you sometimes have to think that um, expanding online is actually trying to expand 
your footprint, you know, your coverage to the marketplace, and then to expand your sales channel. And, and the second thing is uh, making sure that, um, don't, don't just stop there, right? So for, so for small, medium and enterprise, you know, you, you have to think of, you, you, you need to have the right resources, the right personnel, and then you, you need to have a innovation a mindset because uh, at the end of the day is to test and learn and to start small, right? You don't, don't have to be in a big scale, right? Just test small and then slowly expand on your online presence, right? So it could be from uh, information sharing to uh, online e-commerce portal. So you can really scale up the different uh, e-commerce uh, system that you can embark on, right? And the third thing is um, making sure that you integrate your, your customer management, your processes, your system, right? Making sure that if you're in a retail business and then you go online, um, is to make sure that the customers, you should be able to recognize your, your online customers that appear in your, in your offline store, right? So in, in, enable to give them a good user experience. And I think the fourth point is about, you know, data. It's been, it's, at the end of the day, this, this world is about collating data and measuring data, right? I think Jack Ma ever said this, right? We are moving from IT to DT time, right? And in DT, it's not meaning digital, digital time, but he means data, right? Data is king now. So maybe one, one word of advice uh, for whatever small, medium enterprises, um, companies, is, is it's not about moving from offline to online, but it's to ensure that you have this omni-channel to have online and offline. So it's not one replacing the other. Yes, Tom. I'm happy to follow on a little bit to that. Um, certainly, in in my experience, um, we kind of we're, we're a little bit of an oddball in our industry as as an integrated marketing consulting firm because we come from a digital first background and we we met with the the Bali Hotels Association. It's been six years ago now. We presented data about the. Um, allocation of spending in terms of physical ads, print, out of home, compared with digital. And we compared that with what was happening in North America and Europe in the, the early 2000s. And it showed we were sort of 12 to 15 years behind the curve in terms of digital adoption. And this is where what, what you say from data being king, the, the message here is trackability. You can make informed statistically sound decisions if you have data if you just say well you know a million people drive by this billboard every day yeah guys on their motorbike that are that are going to a building site those that's not your target market those aren't your customers so this will enable basically now all, everyone's audience is forced to be online so this forces businesses to go online and dip their toe in the water and finally they'll see oh all right, I can see where that rupiah went and how the rupiah came back to me. Now it's all transparent. I think it's going to be it's going to be a great thing for companies to finally see where their money is going and how they're making their money back. Okay, thanks very much, Tom. Kelvin, um, education has been a sector that's uh, obviously has um, been challenged more than any other. Um, virtually everything now has been put online. Um, as you mentioned, the pedigree of your organization is. Cambridge University and they are the first uh, to have announced or the first uh, in the UK to have announced that the whole 2021 will be delivered uh, online from their point of view. Um, throughout through the different uh, layers of the education industry from ch uh, young children going through to middle and, and high school, um, what do you see as the transition for and, and opportunities maybe for schools generally going forward? Or is this really one of those not win-wins, but lose-lose if you're a parent and a pupil? No, I think, um, I'm sure we have heard of this concept called a uh, flipped classroom. I think the concept is about a, a lot of time, you know, we, uh, a student go to school to learn and after school, you know, they do their homework and so on and so forth, right? But in, in a flipped classroom concept, it is about learning at home and then practicing in school, right? So I believe that 
we need to really invest a lot of uh, research and also solution and also the online portal to make sure that we can make learning at home fun, right? So in a, in a, in a situation where um, students cannot go to school, how do we bring, how do we continue the learning? So this is not an easy answer. I won't say we have the, I think, I won't say anybody has a solution, but I, I really think that we should expand on this concept to make learning fun, right? How, how do we make learning fun at home? So in, in a, of course, in a developed world and a developing world, it's also uh, very challenging. I think in a developed world, we talk about, you know, like for, for example, in, in the States or in UK, you talk about home-based learning, you know, most of families, they have computers at home, students still have access to uh, some form of learning, you know, and then, um, but in a, in a developing world, you know, some countries I hear that um, they don't even have electricity and don't talk about having a computer, right? So the, the only opportunity that, how do we deliver learning in, to a developing world, um, they are talk about maybe through the TV channel, right? Different TV channel to different levels and uh, different subjects. So there's even talk about in, in some of the countries trying to deliver their, their learning, you know, to, to, to the mainstream TVs. So, but I think having said that, it, it is really to in, invest a lot of um, the resources to, to make sure that, you know, we, we can, we can um, bring the learning to the students at home in, in a fun manner and making sure that they continue to learn. So I think that, that is the challenge that most countries are facing right now. And um, we are all trying to find a solution to that. Um, thanks, Kelvin. So the, the, the message is to develop things that are fun, that keep, uh, keep children engaged and interested and uh, inquiring. Um, Tom, um, going now to the uh, hospitality and tourism industry, as I mentioned, a, a, a few questions. This is an industry that was already very much online um, and using digital approaches through the different um, uh, ticketing platforms and booking platforms and, and so on. It, for, for that particular industry to, to kickstart itself again, um, is it just going back to what they were doing or is the a, a newer strategic approach uh, that where, where there should have been lessons learned during this fallow period? Yeah, that's, um, that's a big question you've got there. Um, I think that every property owner, whether from, from mom and pop operations, small inns, all the way up to, to some of the corporates, need to take stock of what their opportunities really are here. I think that given how competitive the online travel agent, the OTA market was before this, I think we'll see some shakeup there, perhaps some consolidation. Um, if this goes on for 6, 12, 18 or more months, I mean, you, you could have a complete reopening. You could even say the flight schedules are returned to normal, but are we going to go back to 90% full flights? Are people willing to travel and sit in there? I think that the industry as a whole is going to, is going to face a lot of, a lot of challenges. And I think that, um, that the businesses that are able to show that, that they're on top of it, um, that that they're making responsible decisions and so on are going to be the ones that do well. Um, I'm, I'm forever an optimist, but I think that that is, that is a particular industry that is, that needs to look at investing in long-term solutions at getting themselves more runway, um, controlling costs, making smart investments in how their brand is represented online, um, making sure that they're in a position to take direct bookings whenever interest in tourism does come back so that they can make that 15 to 20% back from the OTAs. Um, that's, that's kind of the, the broad stroke. Obviously, there's a lot of diversity in, in the hospitality industry. So that, those are the, the general rules of thumb that I could throw out there. Yeah, I, I want to add, I think this, um, if you talk about tourism industry, it's not something that you can say that it will be switched on, right? Post-COVID, everything will recover, everything will be back to normal. Um, but maybe there's opportunity to look at uh, virtual reality. 
I mean, imagine some, somebody putting on a, a, a kind of a, a goga and then imagine that they are right there in Japan or in any country that they want. So, so if you talk about, um, is, there, is, there, is there an area for business to evolve, to change? Um, maybe we can look at virtual reality, but, um, but the traditional way of uh, tourism industry is, is, is still, it will be quite challenging. You know, in, like, in Singapore, we have four terminals, you know, and the government is closing the two terminals. And then not just, uh, even post-COVID, for six months, 12 months, they don't expect the tourism numbers to come back as per, you know, instantaneously. So, so but that, I, I'm sure there are other ways, you know, we can look at, you know, if uh, we will require some entrepreneur to come up with some new ideas, you know, to, to see how people can imagine they are touring or going on a tour, right? Yeah, uh, perhaps we don't need to go on a holiday, Calvin. Perhaps we just holiday virtually in front of our screen. It's very, very cheap. It's very, very safe, isn't it? Okay, yeah. so the whole con the whole concept's got to be reinvented. Um, uh, Ilias, you're back. Did you did you get my question before? Um, I got it partly. Uh, I'm sorry. I think the, I was experiencing some problems. I hope uh, it works this time. Okay, so um, just just for me to, to to ask them in a slightly faster, quicker format, um, t two parts to the question. Number one is, uh, if you're online selling, um, how do you stop yourself looking like everybody else? How, how do you differentiate? Okay, and secondly is, how do you propose to to get the UK stakeholders to know? that all these Indonesian parties have got products and services that they want to sell and export? Sure. Uh, first of all, uh, let me just uh, give you a bit of perspective in terms of madeinindonesia.com. Uh, as, as rightly mentioned by you, we are Indonesia's first B2B uh, international marketplace or e-commerce platform. Uh, Traditionally, if you see in Indonesia, there is a lot of retail C2C based uh, business model based platforms like Tokopedia, Bukalapak and, and many others which are selling domestically at this point of time. So we are one of the very few uh, uh, marketplaces. Other marketplaces are there, a couple of them, but all of them are doing uh, 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 international trading in bits and pieces. We're trying to do it on a more consolidated way, uh, representing nine industries, over 900 different product categories uh, within Indonesia. So we're looking at, first of all, capturing the market, which is already there. If you look at Indonesian exports, we are experiencing over $170 billion trade um, on a yearly basis. Uh, where majority of that is still offline at certain points. It's not, uh, there is not a, a marketplace uh, or, or a fully end-to-end -end digitalized platform that is uh, um, available for either Indonesian sellers and suppliers to conduct the global transactions or global trade and for international buyers, sourcing agents to source or procure with safety, security, trust, and transparency. So I think there is an underlying business market with, where we are trying to capture a certain value from both buyer and seller side. And what we are bringing on the table is uh, a marketplace that is built up uh, by design to conduct end-to-end business transactions, uh, B2B transactions on wholesale, uh, at least a container, half a container, um, order value size. So if you look at, um, um, at this point of time, how our small and medium enterprise uh, uh, market looks like, we have over 700,000 to 800,000 uh, small and medium enterprise, out of which uh, you would be surprised to know uh, that is around 20%, Again, there are various data, but, but overall in an average is 20% that are actually digitalized at this point of time. And uh, when I say digitalized, they are not really um, encapsulating the, the economic viability. They are not really adapting the e-commerce. The, the number of uh, the percentage of small and medium enterprise that is actually active in e-commerce is only 9%. That means 91% is still uh, there, which have not yet um, 
adopted active e-commerce strategies in order to sell their product offering either domestically or in international markets. So I think um, what we are offering uh, are three very vital um, elements to conduct business to business trade within Indonesia and especially overseas. That is access to greater markets for our sellers and suppliers with varying scale and sizes of businesses. Um, access to credit and financing through our various channel partners and access to various technology, trade and marketing solutions that will help uh, our Indonesian sellers to globalize their product offering, get connected to, uh, to global value chain, B2B value chain. And at the same time, if there are uh, potential buyers and sourcing agents who otherwise are sourcing from Indonesia anyway, but through series of broker chains or they are, uh, uh, they are sourcing through different countries rather than directly from the manufacturer, uh, they would be uh, much more comfortable in terms of conducting transactions directly with the manufacturers. So I think as a marketplace, we're looking at both buyer and seller centric marketplace. And there are various, uh, 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 various multi-tier uh, strategies on marketing and promotional strategies that we are putting in place. Um, uh, in terms of communicating with potential buyers and um, companies that are conducting uh, transactions within Indonesia in the past as well. And we have, and we are backed with a lot of market intelligence, data intelligence on trade and transactions. And our strategy is not to use a shotgun approach by going just uh, uh, through social media and uh, other avenues in terms of promoting ourselves, but rather targeted approach in terms of understanding the underlying requirement and business requirements, e-commerce strategy of the various companies within Indonesia, and somehow use that as a targeted approach to, uh, to locate, identify, engage with the consumer base, the customer base from uh, various countries, depending on um, the, how aggressive the Indonesian company is in terms of pursuing how many markets overseas, or if they want to take even baby steps in terms of um, experimenting with one or two countries in the beginning. And, and, and I think my last word is, in terms of conducting a global transaction, I think it is true before COVID and it's true now, the biggest challenge remains uh, trust. And that is true for both online and offline. And I think we as a marketplace are bringing all those uh, suite of services uh, and features together covering almost all the B2B touch points that will enable our um, Indonesian manufacturers to sell with speed, sell globally, and increase their brand recognition. And at the same time, um, ensuring the buyer's side to have a safe, secure, transparent, and a broker-free uh, kind of an environment in terms of conducting the transaction uh, at a mid-scale or large scale as well. Ilyas, I'm just going to continue with you because I'm frightened of losing you again. So while it's looking so good, I'll take advantage. Um, has your strategy changed at all with the COVID experience? Um, have you found that you have had more demand from SMEs from your proposition? Um, or <laughs> has, there been, has there been a reluctance? Well, the answer is definitely uh, there has been a, a more um, demand. Of course, we are uh, seeing uh, that there are manufacturers or small and medium enterprise at this point of time who are more keen in terms of understanding that what all it needs and what it takes to, to globalize their business and is it expensive, what are the first steps, how much involvement our platform has. Uh, and I think uh, to, to give you a straight answer on that, I think there has been a, a tremendous demand in increase in terms of inquiries, in terms of um, onboarding as well, to be very straightforward as well. And not only from small and medium enterprise, even some big companies that are very good domestically as well, want to somehow experiment in terms of um, understanding the, the global buying patterns and how uh, they can find new consumer or customer bases as well outside the outside Indonesia as well. Thanks, Ilya. So uh, I, th I think really you are um, 
emphasizing Tom's point earlier that there will be experienced people who are taking advantage now to experiment, um, experienced businesses and find out other ways of uh, diversifying how they market. Um, Tom, there's a question come in uh, in relation to people development and uh, I, I address this to you and invite Kelvin also into it. What do you believe are the soft skills that people should be focusing on right now while they have the time and the opportunity and which strategic um, or rather what strategies should, should they be looking to improve? Okay. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the question. Uh, there, Mrs. Mundy. Um, in terms of soft skills, um, you say you specify for the services industry. So it would, it would depend on what your service is. If you're engaged in something that's easy to remote, like, um, consulting or um, psychology, somewhere where you're you're dealing um, traditionally face to face, um, but that didn't involve like a physical push of of any sort of product, um, then you'd want to develop yourself in terms of maybe getting promotional videos out there, YouTube advertising, showcasing the fact that you can you can do these uh, sorts of services remotely, um, getting yourself really strong and proficient at, um, at developing slide decks. So getting, getting good at uh, PowerPoint or, or a similar tool. Um, and then in terms of strategies, I would say, make sure that you um, are going with something that's transparent and trackable. Go ahead and make sure that you're, you're putting out a clear and compelling message to people that, that shows right off the bat what the value of that service is. But if it's a service industry that, or a service specifically that, that you're offering that makes it really difficult to remote, um, maybe it's just a, a time where you can focus on kind of an upskilling phase, um, learning more about some of the, the digital marketing tools that are available out there, um, specializing in Google ads or, or social media management. Um, I'm not sure if that helps to address your question, but um, that's the best I got from, from the text of the question there. Calvin, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I think at this time, uh, we, are, we are talking about dressing up, you know, dressing up your, you know, your resume, your experience, so on and so forth, right? So I think at the end of the day is, is, is what, what, we, what, what we have gathered is, uh, you know, from the, the research that we have gathered from whether it's a World Economic Forum or LinkedIn, I think it's a, a lot about having employees that have the right thinking skill, problem solving skills, and also the communicative skills. So these are what the employers are, are looking for. And why are they looking for this is because um, it will help the companies expand their market share, right? So you're not just talking about serving the Indonesian market. You know, you want to increase your footprint to the regional market. So this, these are the, the skills uh, that are needed so that, so that you are able to help the companies uh, push the frontier. So yeah, my, my short answer to that is... Um, it's really about the, having the, the right skill that what employers are looking for. So if you have that, then you're good to go. Okay, thanks very much. Um, Tom mentioned that um, people wouldn't abandon uh, one type of, uh, one way that they've been doing things for the, for the e-way or the digital way. Um, do, do you have any, any sense, Tom, of where the balance is for certain types of businesses or certain types of sector between digital and traditional? Um, I think very mature businesses, very mature industries are traditionally slow to adapt. I think that you'll, you'll find that this will force them to adapt maybe more. Um, I think people will start to expand what what demographics they've traditionally targeted online because perhaps more um, older consumers that used to go down the street to get their stuff. Now they've had a couple of months of shopping online and people start to start to, to expand their, their targeting for their digital advertising. Part of that also means that they've got to change their messaging for that older demographic that they can now track and trace through digital advertising online. Um, and in terms of industries or sectors, I think it's difficult to go into any real meaningful depth uh, in that that's, it's such a broad thing to look at. I think it's pretty pessimistic for international tourism for the midterm. I think that's a fact of the matter. I think local businesses, local engagement, 
making sure that people are able to find you on Google Maps. These simple steps, I think every business should be taking that. Okay, that's uh, that, that's great. Thanks very much for that. I, I noticed one of our uh, one of our attendees did make a very very valid point that the challenges that Ilias was facing right now, in fact, is a challenge that's nationwide, and that is that the development of digital infrastructure um, uh, is is not as well developed as as it should be, and and hence. Uh, will impact how the country can move forward in terms of its own digital footprint. What would you say to that, Ilyas? Uh, I will have a slightly long answer. I think uh, addressing uh, small and medium enterprise, especially in Indonesia, because I believe that our four or 5,000 corporations which are in Indonesia, they are more acute, they have more digital resources or even financial resources to, to adapt various technologies. But I would like to, through your medium, communicate to our audience that um, digital transformation is, uh, is not limited to Fortune 500. I think uh, small and small and medium enterprises can very well uh, transform their businesses at their own scale and size digitally. And if not all, but at least parts of it, bringing efficiency and innovation in, term their, in terms of their processes, uh, business processes. Uh, very evident and what is a very pressing question at this point of time is that in the post-COVID environment, post-COVID era, how well our or how little our small and medium enterprises are prepared uh, for a market environment that will be predominantly uh, majorly technology driven. So I think at the same time, it is very difficult and challenging for small businesses to adapt or to do change management because they have to keep on producing the products as well as satisfying the consumer requirements with very limited resources. That is where we are trying to take over sort of and telling our small and medium enterprise that you do what you do best, that is to produce your products and in terms of technology, trade and marketing solutions will take care of it almost with a very negligible or zero cost. And I think the greater risk at this point of time, I, that would be my last word, is not really only the digital adaption, but I think for our Indonesian perspective, I would say it is more uh, inability to change. And I think um, the companies, uh, the, the entrepreneurs, who are understanding the ever-changing consumer, ever consumer patterns, who are understanding the new trends that are, being, that are emerging in the market, who are trying to stay um, together with the rhythm of changing dynamics post-COVID will be the companies that will be successful. And please, after this conference call, if somebody and someone wants uh, is interested to communicate, to find out more in terms of what we can do and what we can offer in terms of technology trade, uh, how to uh, conduct exports, how to sell B2B, in, even in domestic market, please feel free to contact me or one of my, my colleagues. Okay, thanks, Ilias. And, and so for me to, um, to, to start to draw a few uh, common elements to the points made by each of you, um, it should not be regarded necessarily as a cost and expensive to shift to digital ways of doing things. The message is to have a look at what you have been doing. How effective are they in this new era? Uh, can you redirect that cost and therefore create a new opportunity and a, a new focus? Um, there is, it is definitely very, very important to use this time to invest in education and personal development. And I think that that would be a, a message that should be thrown out to everybody, not just corporate owners and executives, but every single employee, um, team member, uh, should perhaps be looking at their own portfolio of personal assets um, and thinking just what do I add to this organization and, and does my organization need different things of me um, right now as well. For organizations that... Um, tend to be risk averse in terms of 
trying out new things and moving away from the traditional, the, the message seems to be this is a great opportunity to experiment with very, very little risk associated to that experiment. Um, and, and so that they would certainly be key messages. I'd be very, very interested um, to, to know from Ilias in two or three or four months time to what extent that statistic of 91% and 9%, only 9% exploiting e-commerce has changed over the six or nine months of the COVID experience. My sense would be fairly significantly, um, but let's see, and perhaps that's uh, another conversation. But before I close, I'd just like to invite uh, any quick closing remark or, or point that you'd like to emphasize or re-emphasize. Uh, first of all, from Tom. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, in closing for us, thanks again uh, for having me on. Um, I think that the, the, one, of, one of the things Ilias mentioned in uh, the first kind of pre-briefing that we had for this webinar, um, he said that the that technology is going to be the backbone that holds everything together and helps all of us move forward. And I think he absolutely hit the nail on the head there. Um, I think that it, businesses have been forced in this environment to turn to technology, one, to communicate internally. You know, how do we manage some of our processes when we can't go down the hall and talk to people and so on? How do we communicate with our clients? And I think it just forces everything. It's a huge push in the digital direction. And I think that, that those businesses that move ahead of their competition will be the ones that are most successful. Now is the time to adapt. That's it for me. Thank, thank you. Calvin? Thanks. Well, I'll say that this, uh, this crisis is really unprecedented. Um, it's, uh, there's no past occurrence, you know, that, and you know, there's no books to say how we can recover from from this uh, crisis that we are facing right now, because it's not just affecting demand, it's also affecting supply, right? But I think we, as I said earlier, we have to, um, and I also echo what Tom and uh, Elias uh, shared, you know, we, we just have to be agile and, and nimble. And uh, the new world that we are facing right now, um, not just uh, this crisis, but we are also in the fourth industrial revolution. So we, we really have to change our, our business model because you have to think of the generation that we are serving is uh, we are in an area of, uh, in a generation of convenience, you know. So we are, this generation is so used to convenience, you know, having information, everything in their fingertips. And you're talking about, they have no concept about going out to buy the food, right? They are, they, it's all about everything, just a few touch of their, you know, the screen or, you know, the smartphone and the order will be at their doorstep. So we, I would say we really have to take this opportunity to think through and um, whatever we do here, um, one advice is start small, yeah, and also getting the right personnel to be there and be ready to innovate, to start small and to be agile. Thank you, Kelvin. Um, Ilyas? Um, again, my message is for Indonesian manufacturers, uh, wholesalers, distributors, um, especially the small and medium enterprise of Indonesia. Um, uh, as we all know that uh, COVID-19 is acting as a catalyst in terms of pushing a, a speedy digital transformation uh, because people are forced to adapt the, the current digital ecosystems. And it will stay so after we are going back and there will be a new normal and we hope that uh, majority of the Indonesian uh, businesses would adapt and use and uh, capitalize not only just being digital, but uh, getting an economic viability from it and transforming their business, uh, adapting uh, and capitalizing from e-commerce um, um, e business all over the world. If you look at 65% of the complete transactions of purchases worldwide, are happening through Alibaba, Amazon, and eBay. So it's a reality. We're not talking about some fantasy technology innovation in the future. This is happening. I hope that uh, our Indonesian companies that we represent and we want to represent will not uh, far, uh, fall far uh, behind. And I think uh, what I worry is that if Indonesian businesses in, in general are not creative or innovative enough, um, 
it would be very hard for Indonesian SMEs to, to survive this century. Um, I hope that there, there will be adaption, there will be small, because there is so much intelligence, so much knowledge available out there. And I hope through this medium as well, it will um, you know, serve as one of the uh, mediums to, to help communicate the problems and also proposing solutions through your medium. And I thank you for giving this opportunity. Thank you very much. And we thank you very much for joining us. Um, just to mention that um, our panelists are keen and willing to answer some of the questions that perhaps we just weren't, didn't have time to um, address specifically uh, or indeed address at all. Thanks for putting those questions in. We will share them with the, the panel and perhaps they can enter into a dialogue with you. Um, my team will also share with you um, how to contact them at their respective businesses as well. Um, as far as BritCham goes, we'll continue with our webinar series. Um, we're looking at uh, renewable energy uh, versus uh, more traditional energy post-COVID. We're looking at the business of football coming up and also the relationship of uh, the territory of Hong Kong. Uh, with the Southeast Asia region as well. They're just three opportunities that will be coming your way over the next two or three weeks. Once again, we've had an awful lot of non-members as well who have joined us on this particular webinar, which is great to see. You're very, very welcome as our guests. And uh, for, forewarned, um, my team will be chatting with you when we're the other side of all of this to try and get you on board as members and sharing the great value proposition that is to be a member of BritCham. That's just one of your opportunities that you can exploit going forward. Um, thanks very much, Tom, Kelvin, Ilyas, to my team, Asti and Rani, to all of you for sharing your time uh, with us uh, this afternoon in Indonesia and this morning in the UK. Thank you. Thanks, Goodbye, everyone. Thank you.